you remember this? We sang a song. We have a Savior to show to the nations. Thank you, Jackie. We have a Savior to show to the nations, but how do we show that Savior? That's really the question on my mind today from the text. And so when that song came through this morning, I wanted you to know lots of ways that we think we ought to show the Savior are probably not the best ways to do it. And then there's, but there's a way that, he, that, that matches his character. So if you think about that for a second, let's pray, and then I'll get into the text. Lord Jesus, this morning I ask that you would give me the words that I need to say, that, that I'd speak in English and not Portuguese or Russian or some other language that most people don't speak in the room, that my heart would be submitted to you, and that I'd not grasp after my own seek yours. Move in my heart, Lord. Move in ours and cause us to be your people. Amen. Amen. So, uh, ways to talk about Jesus and ways to show up. You're, you're probably familiar with sort of the Christian style of doing this. We, we had one come to town a couple years ago where they said, we're going to do this massive healing ministry. We're going to put up this big tent outside of town, and we're coming to town, and so get your stuff ready and come do that. You familiar with that sort of view of, of uh, talking about what we're going to do? Do you know that that doesn't match Jesus' actions at all? It just doesn't. Jesus didn't go, hey, next Tuesday, I'm going to be in Bethany and, and uh, get all your sick out on the street and I'll just handle that when I get there. No, he didn't do that. Now, the stories of him healing are that he came to town and when somebody needed healing, he healed them at that moment. At that moment. And then the people go, Oh, he just healed that person. I know somebody that's got a problem. And then they bring people to Jesus like this. And when they got to the next town, they go, is that the guy we heard about? Do you see how different that is than putting up a big placard or a billboard or something like that? It's, it's sort of the, the world's way of saying things is to make a big pronouncement, like in politics. I'm going to clean up the swamp. Well, I, I understand it's supposed to be the way it is, but, but are you aware that Washington, D.C. was built on a swamp? That's why they call it that. They actually filled in the land, and it's still sort of a mucky swamp and everything. But I'm going to clean up the swamp. The problem is, is that there's a big pronouncement, and then it doesn't happen. In the same way that another president might say, I'm going to get rid of all non-green energy. except big pronouncement, little follow-through, right? Slogan versus character. I, I, I just want to make sure that you know what I'm talking about and that I'm not just doing this. Is, is there any spot in your life that you just are always taken in by the slogans and you don't go, huh, I wonder if that's true? How many times do you get taken in by slogans and things without seeing the character behind it. What will you do, says the Toyota commercial, with all the money you'll save? 
If you spend $16,000, you weren't going to spend otherwise. Right? The difference is there. So this is the story. I, I need to bring back in. Remember, we're at Genesis. I am on page 72 of that Black View Bible, if you want to turn. I've got three chapters in the thing. I'm not going to read all three of those chapters today. We're going to focus on Judah. And before I read the text, while you're finding it, I want to remind you of who Judah is. Judah is the fourth son of Leah, and Jacob's son, but Leah's the mom. And when they threw Joseph in the pit, you're familiar with the story, right? Uh, here comes that dreamer, let's take care of those dreams, let's see how they work out. They throw him in a pit. Judah's the guy that said, hey, let's not kill him, let's make a buck. Let's sell him into slavery, and then we will kill him. We'll at least come out of this with some, some money. Awesome. And then, so, so the, the brothers then tell Jacob that Joseph is gone, and what happens is, is that Judah then also leaves the family. So not only did Jacob lose Joseph, sold to slavery, but Judah leaves the family for quite some time some many uh, Jewish uh, rabbis and the Targums seem to say that that's because of the deed and the witness that he's had amongst them that he leaves in shame. But then he gets married and he has a couple of boys and they get married to Tamar and they don't have any kids and they keep dying and, and all this and, you know, things go wrong. And, and I would like to take this just a little moment to say, you know, um, when we're following the line of the Messiah, there's several times where it seems like there's a woman with, without, without the ability to have a kid in there. Well, here's Judah having problems getting a kid. Okay, so it's not just the women. It's men. It's God overcoming this. But anyway, so push comes to shove, and Tamar the widow, and Jotham, Judah, the widower, end up um, pretending either to be uh, a, a harlot or using a harlot, right? And she gets pregnant, and this is his response, and I'm, I'm just giving you some backup, remember? She gets pregnant by Judah, her father-in-law, and, and they're told him, this is him, 36. Hey, Tamar's pregnant. She should be burned. This is Judah. I'm just trying to let you know who Judah is. Right? Do you know this person in your life? Super quick to judgment. Super fun to be around. Everything around them turns to ashes. This is quite a number of years later. Now, remember in the Joseph story, we're, we're coming back to Egypt for a second trip. At least 20 years have gone by. Judah is back with the family. I'm going to read now so that, so that you can start to see. Remember who Judah is here. But the famine continued to ravage through the land. Now, they've been down for seed once, and they had to leave Simeon as a hostage. But we're told, don't come back without Benjamin, the youngest brother, and otherwise you're spies. That's what Joseph says. But the famine continued to ravage the land, and when the grain they had bought from Egypt was almost gone, 
Jacob says to his sons, go back and buy us more food. But Judah says, the man was serious when he warned us. This is Judah with the family now, right? And I just want to say in the previous chapter, Reuben, the oldest brother, said, hey, we need to go back, but we need to take everybody, but nothing happens. Jacob doesn't believe him. But Judah said, the man was serious when he warned us, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you send Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy more food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we won't go either. Remember the man said, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. And then Jacob moaned, why are you so cruel to me? Why did you tell him that you had another brother? The man kept asking questions about our family. Well, he kept asking questions because he actually was a member of the family and knew the family, and so there were no real secrets in this, right? Judah said again to his father, send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we will all die of starvation and not only we, but you and our little ones. I personally guarantee his safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you let me bear the blame forever. If we hadn't wasted all this time, Dad, my addition, we could have gone there and been back by twice by now. And so their father, Jacob, finally said to him, if it can't be avoided, then at least pack your bags with the best products and take the money that they gave back to you last time. But listen to this. Do you hear Jacob? Jacob is believing and trusting Judah. But 20 years has gone by since Tamar and he had a confrontation. And Tamar tricked him, and his response was, you're more righteous than I. And then time starts to go by. So, so what has happened in the life of Judah? We don't know more than that, but what we do know is that his witness and his trust, that he is, he is being trusted by his dad, who literally is saying, it would be better almost to die than send Benjamin with you guys, because they're going to take Benjamin away, and Joseph's already gone. And... So anyway, they go. The brothers, this is verse 19, the brothers approached the manager of Joseph's household and spoke and he said, Sir, we came to Egypt once to buy food, but as we were returning home, we stopped for the night and opened our sacks and we discovered that all our money had been returned. The exact amount in the top of our sacks, actually the language is in the mouth of our sacks. So they're going to buy food and the sacks have mouths and all of the stuff is over. We have no idea how the money got into the mouth of our sacks. Relax, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, must have put the treasure into your sacks. I know, I received your payment. Then he released Simeon and brought him out. As we go in here further, they have a big banquet. And they're leaving with food, 
And Joseph, the younger brother, Benjamin's older brother, but all the rest of their younger brothers, says, hey, uh, when you're packing all their bags, put my cup in the that one's bag. So Joseph is still sort of testing whether or not they're truthful, yes? He hasn't been exposed to a change in Judah. He hasn't seen Judah change. He just knows that these brothers are the ones that threw him in a pit, and here his younger brother is in that group, and, and so we're going to test him. And so they left with, the, with all the grain and the, the thing and the cup, and Joseph sent soldiers after them. So when the palace manager, I'm in verse 6 of chapter 40, when the palace manager caught up with the men, he spoke to them as he had been instructed. What are you talking about? The brothers responded. We're your servants and would never do such a thing. Didn't we return the money we found in the mouth of our sacks? We brought it back all the way from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If you find his cup, this is their saying from their mouths, right? The mouths of the sacks. If you find this cup with any one of us, let that man die. And all the rest of us, my Lord, will be your slaves. That's fair, the man replied. But only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. And they all quickly opened up the mouths of their sacks. See, they had opened their mouths to swear sort of an oath. Hey, that person should die, and we'll all be slaves. They're very quick with their mouths, these, these brothers. And Joseph thinks this. And they quickly opened up the mouths of their sacks on the donkeys and opened them, and the palace managers searched the sacks, and from the oldest to the youngest in that order. And when they got to Benjamin's sack, the brothers saw this, and they tore their clothing in despair, and they loaded their donkeys again and returned back to Egypt. Joseph was still in his place when Jodah and his brothers arrived, and they fell to the ground before him. So, what have you done? Joseph demanded. Don't you a man that don't you know that I'm a man that can predict the future? Oh my lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother, who had your cup in a sack. No, Joseph said, I would never do such a thing. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back to your father in peace. Judah. Then Judah stepped forward and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant just say one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, Yes, we have a father who is an old man, and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, and he is alone and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so we can see him with, with my own eyes. But we said to you, my, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for his father would die. But you told us that unless your younger brother come, 
you will not see my face again. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you said. Later he said, go buy grain. So he's reiterating the story, verse 27. And then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons, and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. Remember the lie from their mouths from the earlier story. And if any harm comes to this brother, now if you take my brother away, his brother away from me, and if anybody, any harm comes to him, you will send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is found up in the boy's life. And if he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending the grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take the boy. I told him if I don't bring him back, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. And let the boy be returned with his brothers. For how can I go back without the boy and see the anguish of my father? Do you see the change? Judah is changed. We've been talking about what it means to be in the line of Messiah. Now remember that in the line of Messiah, in this case, is to be the father, father and mothers of the line that come down until Jesus is born. And then after Jesus dies on the cross and does this, then we come into line of Messiah by faith. But we don't do that without being adjusted. You don't come in and go, Jesus takes me just exactly as I am, which he does, but leaves me exactly as I was, which he doesn't. He modifies you. Now, if you're on the other side of Messiah, he modifies the progenitors of Messiah into a spot so that they begin to look like God's character ahead of time. They don't start that way, and Judah certainly didn't look that way. Yeah? But modified into the line of Messiah. How do we do this? How does Jacob get to the point where he begins to trust Judah with his most important person? Well, it's not with a big placard saying, hey, I'm trustworthy now. I know I've blown it in the past. That's not how that works. If you've got somebody in your life that's blown it over and over again, them promising to be different isn't enough, is it? Anybody, anybody just trust, trust every time somebody, they lie to you, they cheat, they steal, they do all this stuff, but every time they come back, you just go, oh, they'll be perfect this time, I just trust them. No, you wait and see, yes? You wait and see, and their life, their character begins to be the witness. This is what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus, is to have the character come. We don't hold up the big placard and say, hey, we're changed. When people come by and say, hey, you're different, then you get a chance to speak. Then you get a chance to be trusted. 
then you get trusted because your character is visible. It's not the other way. We're not playing a political game here where everybody comes to town and says, hey, I'm on your side. But they say, I'm on your side to every single person. How do you do that? Right? How, how, how does a politician get away with saying, I'm on your side all the time? Do we trust them? Well, we still send them. But we don't send our youngest kid with them, do we? We say, well, they're going to go over there and they're going to do that stuff. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that when Jesus comes to towns and heals the sick, when he gets to the next town, they've heard and now they ask. There wasn't a big advertising campaign saying he's coming, have him on the streets. So how do we talk about this and how do we understand the difference between, behold, I set before you a, a choice between life and death. Now choose life. I would say, in this, in, in my understanding, politics is the essential understanding of the choice of death. You just don't know which death you're going to get. Right? You're going to pick one, and they're going to do some stuff, and you hope it's better, but it just keeps happening and the placards go up, and the promises get failed. God's character is his introduction. Do you see how different that is? He didn't ask you to blind faith trust him. He gave you air to breathe, and a world that's consistent, and put food on you, and put trustworthy people nearby you, and you start looking at them and go, wow, they're different. I should ask them what's different. I want to be different. And they come in and you talk to them and they say, well, I met this guy. Would you like to meet him? His name's Jesus. He's different. He understood who I was. He still understands who I am. But, but I've learned to trust him. Would you like to trust him? That's not the same. Do you see how different that methodology is? You want to be a good witness for Christ? live in character with trustworthiness. When you do that, everywhere you go, people are going to go, wow, that's different. Never seen anything like that before. Well, I saw it once, but it didn't last. So maybe you have to outlast their experience. Judah is the example. So do you want to have a real impact in your life? not just be a flash in the pan. Do you want to have real impact in your life? Anybody? Real impact? Do you want to change people's lives or be available to them to do that? What is the number one thing you must do? Submit yourself to the character style of God. If you want to be God's person, then his character starts to shine through you. Now, he's not trying to eradicate you. I want to make sure we do this. Uh, I just want to make sure that we say this in such a way that you understand it, that when Jesus talks about this, and he says this, this is not the right page. Let's try this different. It says, when, when you go and pray and fast, 
Don't spend your time saying, careful with me, I'm fasting. You have to be careful. I'm on a religious fast. I'm going to sackcloth and ashes, make a show of it. What does Jesus say if you do that? All the reward you're going to get is right there from that. Everybody's going to go, ooh, strange person. <laughs> but if you do that, if you fast, go out in public and be normal. Have your life be the change you're hoping to make. There's a spot where in the prayer of Jesus, we're talking about this, where, where there's a person and he comes to pray and, and Jesus is seeing them in the temple and one of the men is a tax collector and he's in the temple and he's beating his head. He's a despised one. He says, I thank you, God. Oh, this is the Pharisee's prayer. Are you ready for this? I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people, the cheaters and sinners and adulterers. If you're going to pray like that, what do you think, think God's going to do with that prayer? See, we talked about that with Ahaz in the Isaiah statement. I want to make a show of talking about God, but I don't want to really use him. I don't want to be available for him. Do you want to be available for him? They come to him in a real heart, like the tax collector who stands at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, the sinner went away justified before God. Not the Pharisee, not the person. Now, Pharisees get a bad word, but I, I want to say you might not have a t-shirt that says Pharisee on. But if you go into the public thing and say, I'm going to pray and I'm so glad I'm not like all the other sinners here, you might not come away justified before God. And don't be surprised if nobody in that room likes you very much. But if you come and pray, just actually pray, but live in the character you want to have when you get back, be authentic. Be who you're made to be. Be the change that God has made in your life. It's why Judah, who is maybe not such a great guy in the beginning, did you hear his plea for his brother? Let me take that punishment. I'll take that. That is a completely changed person. Next week, we'll see jo Joseph's response. You pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us not be a sideshow. Help us be your people. Help us turn and love you and recognize that you've made a change in our lives and then, and then help us incorporate that change and then, then, Lord, as we seek your face and we seek your character and other things become apparent to us that we need to change. Help us change those things so that we might be changed into your image and your likeness. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.